You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the newsroom to you live. Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one-stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, opinion writer for The Washington Post. President Biden made the unprecedented move this week to ban energy imports from Russia, another in a series of moves to deny Russian President Vladimir Putin access to capital as his invasion of Ukraine continues. Here to help us make sense of the global economic consequences of this action is the economic economics editor of the Washington Post, Damian Paletta. Damian, welcome back to First Look. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So before we get to the oil and gas ban, let's talk about President Biden's coming announcement uh, today that the United States, the EU, and the G7 countries will move to revoke most favored nation uh, trading status for Russia. That's huge and unprecedented, isn't it? That's right. And actually, the way you set this up is actually really smart because we started the week with the U.S. working with our European allies and the U.K. in trying to cut off the flow of Russian oil. And now we end the week with the U.S. and our European allies and actually Japan and Canada as well, um, stripping away Russia's uh, trade status. And this would make it much easier for the United States to jack up tariffs on imports from Russia. So Russian goods essentially would be much more expensive for American businesses and consumers, and that would essentially price them out of the market. And, you know, Russia is not the United States' biggest trading partner. It's not even in the top 10, but still they rely on U.S. consumers for things like fuel, um, minerals, machinery, that kind of thing. And by completely cutting off access to U.S. markets for that stuff, it's really going to you know, uh, make it harder for Russia to do business because not only are they losing access to U.S. markets, they're losing access to European markets, markets in Japan and Canada as well. So it's a lot of a lot of coordinated action on the economic front this week. Mm -hmm. uh, and I want to talk about the inflationary inflationary aspects of that a little bit later. Let's talk about the oil and and gas ban. Um, uh, will they exact any pain on Russia if the Europeans? who get about 40% of their oil from Russia don't follow suit? You know, that's a great question. You know, I think um, it's such a small uh, market for the U.S. in terms of what Russia does. But for Europe, it's much more. And I think the Europeans are saying they want to scale back, but they've set these goals for the end of 2022. It's going to be hard to see where they can replace that fuel from, you know, some in some areas of Europe, it's up to 80% of their energy comes from Russia. Mm. So, you know, they're saying they want to cut back. It's going to, it's hard to imagine they'll be able to completely cut it off, but I know that they feel very strongly about it and they're going to make an effort. And so will the ban on Russian oil and gas have an, an appreciable impact on oil prices here? What should consumers expect to see in the coming weeks or months? I mean, it was unbelievable, I think, this week to see gas prices going up 10 cents a day. You know, I've never seen anything like it. And and so clearly, there's so much volatility right now in energy markets that um, it's going to be incredibly disruptive. I, you know, we had a story earlier this week, Jeff Stein wrote for us about how, you know, the gas prices could hit as high as $5 a gallon. This was like on Monday or Tuesday. And I drove by a gas <laughs> station yesterday that was at five fifty in Virginia. So... I mean, who knows where we'll be at in a week? Um, clearly, this has been very disruptive. Prices are really high. Uh, it, it's going to be hard to see where they're going to get the replacement fuel from. Because remember, this oil has to be refined. It's a whole process. You can't just go, you know, get you know, hundreds of 
thousands of dollars of barrels and replace it immediately. So it's going to be really kind of choppy and messy, especially, Jonathan, I'm worried about as we get closer to Memorial Day and Americans really start hitting the road again, you know, a lot of people are going to feel the impact of that. And a lot of people, you know, can't, quite frankly, can't absorb those extra costs. It's going to make them change their behavior. Right. That's actually a, a very good point. Memorial Day, summer, and everything's opening up again. And to your point, um, the average gasoline price that was announced this morning hit $4.33. Um, I'm sure you know this statement because you're the economic senator of Washington Post. I interviewed Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen yesterday, um, and she talked about the impact of the sanctions already enacted by U.S. and our European and Asian allies. Here's what she said. Um, I want to hear what want you to hear what she said ab about this, and we'll talk about it on the other side. Russia has been effectively shut out of the international financial system, and the war chest that Russia amassed over six hundred billion dollars in central bank reserves that I think it hoped to use to cushion any blow to the Russian economy. The actions that we have already taken against Russia's banks and uh, particularly against the central bank of Russia, with many of our allies participating in that, has made those um, reserves all but unusable. So the Russian economy will be devastated as a consequence of what we've already done. But we do consider, um, continue to consider further steps we can take. And so, Damien, what could those further steps be? Well, I, you know, obviously, you know, she's right. They've completely economically devastated Russia. The stock market has not been open. Stores are closing left and right. U.S. businesses are pulling out of Russia. So it's just unbelievable kind of the capital um, exodus that we've seen. What could they do next? I mean, I, I really what they could do is they could impose secondary sanctions and penalize countries that do business with Russia. So if they really wanted to take this to the next level, which, you know, quite frankly, could be very economically dangerous, they could go after countries like China that do still do business with Russia. And they could try to really, um, you know, put China in a corner. Now, who knows how China would react and how China would try to retaliate. But if the U.S. really wants to take this to the next step, I think China is the place that we'd have to watch closely. Okay, so you just said the word now. I'm going to go down the rabbit hole because I'm fascinated by China and, and China's position here as a result of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. What do you make? Well, has China economically come to or tried to come to Russia's um, defense or to Russia's rescue now that it has been pretty much effectively walled off from the global economy? Uh, not quite. I think we've all been watching China closely and the uh, Chinese leader Xi Jinping was kind of careful at first. You know, he did speak to Putin. Um, he did not necessarily, you know, embrace their actions with Ukraine, but he also didn't condemn them. And so I think the Chinese, you know, they have a lot to lose here. Obviously, Russia for them is a big trading partner and it's a, a big um, asset for them when they're trying to um, distance themselves from the United States. But I think China is in a bit of a pickle. Now, obviously, China has a huge economy and a huge trading partner with the United States, whereas Russia, I think, is like, you know, our 20 or 25th biggest exporter. You know, if we roped uh, China into this economic war we have right now, 
it could get messy on all fronts. Mm-hmm. So I think they're the U.S. is being careful. The Chinese were kind of watching closely, but it's definitely the next place where this could go. All right, Damon, we've got less than three minutes, and I've got to ask you these two questions. Um, the new inflation data announced yesterday, inflation in February, year over year, up to 7.9%, the highest in, in 40 years. Um, and it's expected to climb because of the, the war in Ukraine. But not only oil prices are surging, but grocery prices are surging. Wheat, corn, sunflower oil, fertilizer. We import those things from Russia, if my understanding is correct. So would yeah. stripping Russia of most favored nation trading status affect inflation in the U.S.? Absolutely. I believe it would. And not only do they import to the U.S., they import to other countries. So it's going to kind of you know, make everything move around. Um, listen, we've been a year of this inflation has been really hard on Americans. I think we thought we saw a light at the end of the tunnel this year where things are going to get a little bit back to normal. You know, there weren't all those thousands, it felt like thousands of ships lined up off the coast of Los Angeles, right? right? Things were starting to move again. But here we have this big shock and clearly gas prices are surging. The inflation numbers that we're going to see next month are going to be, you know, unbelievable. And so, and as Yellen told you yesterday, we could be in for a lot more of this than we expected. This could be another year of really high inflation. And that does eat into Americans' pocketbooks Mm -hmm. and how we come out of this on the other side and what the Federal Reserve does next week. I think we're all going to be watching closely. So President Biden um, has started calling the price hikes at at the pump, Putin, uh, Putin calling it the Putin price hike. So I'm just wondering, do you think Americans will look at inflation differently with Putin having emerged as and being promoted as the bad guy in all of this? You know, it's such a great question. And I have to think back to my youth and movies like The Hunt for Red October and all these kind of, you know, anti-Soviet films that were really popular in the 80s and 90s. I do think Americans will will buy into this narrative from the White House that Russia is, does not have the U.S.'s best interest at heart and is going to make things more more painful. I think it'll be fascinating to watch what the poll numbers look like for President Biden in the next few weeks to see if he does successfully kind of change the narrative on inflation, because obviously it was really hard for him going into the midterms to deal with these really high inflation numbers. Whether he can successfully kind of pivot the blame, I think will tell us a lot about how Democrats are going to do in November. But it's, you know, I think it remains to be seen. All politicians need a bad guy to to focus on. (laughs) Damian Paletta, economics editor of the Washington Post, thank you very much for coming back to First Look. We're going to keep the conversation going uh, with the Opinions Roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of the Washington Post, where we will find my Washington Post colleagues, Megan McArdle and Eugene Robinson. Megan, Gene, welcome back to First Look. Thanks, Jonathan. Good to be here. So let's jump in right where I left off with with Damien on inflation. Um, Megan, do do you think Americans are willing to absorb these increased prices um, if it means that they have Putin as the the person to blame for it? Um, willing? I mean, we don't really have a choice. <laughs> it might not so. be the right. It might not be the right <laughs> choice of words. But you know where I'm going. Do I think that I think there is going to be political blowback on the Biden administration, um, if that's the question, because there always is, right? It's not fair. It It is what it is. You come in as president and you accept that you are going to be held responsible for every single bad thing that happens during your presidency. 
And you're also going to get credit for good things that you had nothing to do with, right? And I think you saw this with the Biden administration. They're kind of, a lot of their COVID plan was to come in and take credit for the vaccines that have been developed under the Trump administration, which was kind of a coincidence of fortuitous timing. It didn't work out that way. Uh, but, you know, I think that that is just the fundamental reality of politics. And so, look, do I think Americans kind of in theory support um, all of these sanctions on Russia? Yes. Do I think they're going to punish the administration for inflation? Also, yes. Do I think that they're going to connect the inflation to the sanctions on Putin? Certainly, Republicans are going to try to make it that way, even though some of them called for these sanctions. Um, but I'm not sure that that's going to land. I'm not sure it's going to kind of mm. at like, I don't think that the Biden administration is going to necessarily get blamed for the inflation because they did the sanctions. I think they're going to get blamed for the inflation because when you're president, that's just the way the, the, the cookie crumbles. Um, and, and I garbled my my own question, um, but you kind of got to where I was trying was I was trying to get. So I'm going to ask the question the way I meant to ask it to Gene. <laughs> Gene, do you think Americans are willing to absorb these increased prices to minimize Putin's access to capital and bring about an end to Putin's war on Ukraine? I think to a certain extent. I mean, I, th I think obviously there's a lot of sympathy and support for Ukraine. Um, Putin is almost um, a, a, you know, a, a made, made, made in Hollywood villain at this point. Um, uh, he is, uh, you know, the way he's conducting uh, the war, the way he's conducting himself. Um, uh, and so it's, it's easy for Americans, I think, to say, um, we need, we must do something. We watch this war unfold on our TV screens every night. And, and, um, and I think there's a, there's an urge to do something. And if this is the something we can do, let's do it. Um, you know, that said, uh, uh Megan is, is right that, um, you know, if inflation happens and you're president, you do get a measure of blame and maybe that's somewhat mitigated. Uh, by the by, the fact of the war and the sanctions and their con contribution to the inflation, um, but how mitigated? I don't know. So, it turns a phrase like Putin's price hike and and things like that will only take take the any administration so far. That that's exactly right. I mean, you could say that, and um, and and I think people are not gonna, you know, people will understand that. Yeah, some of it is is Putin, and some of it was happening, and and you know there, now there is a certain sort of, I mean, in in the in a crisis situation, there is a certain rallying around the president that um, that usually happens, um, and maybe not always, but usually happens, and so we'll have to look to see if mm -hmm. if, the, if there's that Im, an impact on the Biden administration as well. So, uh, Megan. You know, just before before we came on, the the news is breaking that the president's going to announce today that the United States, the EU, the G7, basically the world, is going to get together and strip Russia of most favored nation trading status. Would love to get your your reaction to that and how effective you think that'll be. Well, I, I think at this point it's almost like um, you know you can't fire. <laughs> Um, or I, I should say, look, I mean, there's so much else going on that the most favored nation status is really the least of Russia's problems at this point. It is going to have impacts on the margins, but I, I think much bigger issue for them is oil. 
Um, now, look, oil is a commodity, and what economists like to say is that commodities are fungible, which means if you know you saw this in during the 70s, for example, when um, oil producing states in protest of Israel uh, decided to boycott Israel in the United States. Um, and what you actually saw, though, was that the oil just, just, you know, like some other country bought that oil and then the we bought oil from, from the people that that country would have bought from. And, and it didn't actually have a big increase uh, effect on the price of oil. This, I think, is going to have more effect. This is more like the sanctions on Iran, where you really can because it's, it's more of a worldwide coordinated boycott. It's going to have some effect. But we should also expect, as we've seen with Middle Eastern countries under sanctions, quite a lot of leakage where you know you sort of smuggle it to your friends and and you know they sell it on the world market and that is going to over the long run mitigate these price increases but that you know the caveat is that that can take quite a while right setting up those alternate black market um trading routes takes a bit and in the short term we are going to i think see a, a big spike in oil prices and um and for russia a huge um, decrease in their standard of living as they're just unable to get kind of key inputs mm -hmm. to their economy, uh, mm -hmm. partly because they, partly because, you know, we've sanctioned them and partly because they don't have the money to, because we've cut them off from their oil, the oil markets and the international payment system. You know, Gene, this, this war has been going on for 16 days and basically mm -hmm. every day or every other day of these 16 days, Vladimir Putin has been threatening the West. It was, you know, or, uh, we're going to throw our nukes at you by putting our troops on, on high alert and all sorts of other things. Today, the threat is of nationalizing the assets of companies that have ceased operation or have, or have left Russia. How serious should the West take those kinds of threats? And could he, could he do that? Um, I guess he could. I mean, I don't see why uh, you shouldn't take it seriously. I don't know the, uh, what that adds up to. I don't know, mm -hmm. um, you know, if he did that, um, uh, how, would, you know, would that be a serious blow? Uh, I suppose to some companies, maybe uh, it would certainly feel it. Um, I don't have the sense that that would, um, that would, you know, materially affect the economic outlook mm -hmm. of the United States going, you know, going forward. But uh, maybe Megan has a better idea of, of, of the, the magnitude of, of that if he did it. I think Megan. it's a wait and see, right? This sort of thing you find out after you've done yeah. it. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, let's talk, let's talk about something that um, everybody is talking about, and that is the quote-unquote no-fly zone. Um, Ukrainian President Zelensky has, on a daily basis, called on the West to impose a no-fly zone over Ukraine. But President Biden, the Secretary of NATO, um, just about every European leader and the British um, have all resisted it, said no, out of concern that doing so would trigger World War III. I would love each of you to give your thoughts on, on the West's arguments against imposing a no-fly zone over Ukraine. Megan, you go first. Look, I think the thing about a no-fly zone is that it sounds to us like something less than war. Right. And that's because normally when we're imposing a no fly zone, which we've done in the past, 
We're imposing it on a country over, with which we have overwhelmingly military superiority and which does not have nuclear weapons. And so it is, in fact, kind of less than war. If you think of war as the United States putting boots on the ground and you know invading as we did in Iraq. Um, the problem is that this is just not that situation. We've, we're dealing with a major, you know, a, a former global superpower, still has quite a lot of military firepower, more tactical nukes than we do, um, a lot of nuclear weapons in general. And going in to establish a no-fly zone would mean shooting down Russian planes, which is an act of war. And so I think that, you know, I think we are right not to impose a no-fly zone, but I understand why to the kind of casual low-information voter, um, this sounds like a kind of half measure that we could take that would be more than just cutting, you know, cutting off Russia's access to SWIFT, the payment global banking payment mm -hmm. system that they've never had, um, but more, but less than actually, you know, going all World War II on them. Um, and unfortunately, I don't think that's a, a realistic option on the table. I understand why Zelensky's calling for it. And if I were in his position, I would too. <laughs> but right. um, I think, I think I also understand why we're not going to do it. Right, Gene, there ain't no half-stepping when it comes to a no-fly zone. No. Like you, no. To Megan's point, you can't impose it and then think you're not going to be in full-out war with Russia if one is imposed. Yeah, so, and that's why it's not going to happen. Uh, and it shouldn't happen, and it can't happen. Um, you, you, can't have, um, you can't have war between Russia and the United States because that, um, you know, uh, doesn't necessarily, but... Um, I think probably turns into something like Armageddon. So it's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, it, as you said, President Biden says no, NATO says no, the Brits say no, the French say no, you know, every, any, everybody who would be potentially be enforcing this uh, no-fly zone says no. So therefore, no. Okay. So, so then there was the, 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 the sort of compromise position, it seemed, a week ago, which was, hey, Poland, you've got these Soviet-era MiGs. Why don't you send those to Ukraine? They know how to fly them. That'd be great. And then we, the United States, will backfill those planes for you. That seemed to be gaining a little traction until the Poles said, hey, we're going to send the MiGs to Ramstein in Germany and then yeah, have right. the US and NATO send those planes to Ukraine. Either one of you jump in if you have no. any insight into what Poland was up to with that maneuver. I you know, I, I'm not sure what they what what they were up to, but whatever it was, um, nobody else liked it, right? Um, because if you're going to do this sort of thing, you do it uh, in the middle of the night and you don't announce it and you don't announce the, you know, the root of the weapon. So, you know, you try to, you, you, you just want those planes uh, suddenly to appear uh, in, uh, in Ukrainian hands without a lot of fingerprints on them but to but to announce that you know here's how we're going to do it and we're going to do it right now and da, 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 da. it's you know and by the way through germany that's a non-starter and so uh, so <laughs> therefore by announcing right. it that way they, they kind of kind of queered the whole deal i think it's it ain't, it ain't happening yeah the clean hands part of it disappeared when when they said we're going to send them to germany megan I have no idea what that, I mean, like the best I can come up with is the idea that you put NATO's fingerprints more firmly on this, right? I think right. Poland does have some worry here that, you know, they're, 
technically we're going to defend them, but are we actually going to if push comes to shove? And the more they put NATO's fingerprints on it, the more it forces us to actually go in and defend them in the event. Um, And I I think that that, but I, I, I don't know what the thinking was there. I mean, I don't know that they would have said that this whole deal would have worked anyway. Um, You know, Mm -hmm. I suspect that part of what kind of shut it down was the back channel understanding that like, there's the kind of Rumpelstiltskin theory of of politics and diplomacy, where if you just find the right word, you can make something, some big problem go away, right? And if you just change, if you change what you call it, suddenly it is. And I, I think that th- there's a little bit of this here. This is just like us giving planes to Ukraine, right? This is not right. Um, it's not the same thing. It's, it's yes, it's transitive, but it's basically the same thing. And I think that I'm not sure the Biden administration really wants to get that deep into it. Now, of course, like we've sent materiel, we've sent like, you know, Britain has, other countries have, but there is something about sending more planes that that may have just struck the Biden administration as as a bridge too far. Gene, uh, I got to get your thoughts on on the what seems to be titan, titanic, no, tectonic shift, <laughs> tectonic shifts in US foreign policy as a result of Russia's invasion of of Ukraine, that being the United States sending a delegation to Venezuela um, that resulted in the release of, I think, two of the Sitco Six, um, but with the conversation, of, I believe, about oil, but then also conversations um, between the United States potentially and Saudi Arabia, with the, the potential of having President Biden go to Saudi Arabia um, excuse me, all about um, doing, I guess, adding to the oil supply as a result of you know, sanctions against Russia. What do you make of these changes in U.S. foreign policy? Well, you know, um, uh, nations don't have, um, uh, they have, don't have friends, they have interests, right? And, and it, it, if it is in the U.S. national interest, um, to, uh, to to essentially try to replace uh, the oil supply that we are that that we're shutting off from Russia uh, on the world markets and and therefore keep the price from going completely through the roof, um, then you end up having to deal with some uh, some dodgy uh, regimes that you'd rather not deal with. You would certainly rather not deal with Venezuela, but they got a lot of oil. You, rather than I deal with the Saudis, but they got, you know, tons of oil. And um, uh, and so I think that's the theory behind mm-hmm. it. And we'll see how far this, you know, these discussions go, if, if indeed they they go very far at all, because the Saudis have their own interests in, right. in, in you know, and so far they haven't been eager to, to start Me- pumping more oil. Mm-hmm. Megan, we've got literally less than a minute left. Your pithy thoughts on this point. I, I think that you know you have to make trade-offs, right? Now, look, we're not going to be able to replace all of Russia's oil. It's too much. We're talking about, I think, one in ten of every barrel of oil that's produced in the world comes out of Russia, and so mm-hmm. we're we're not going to mm-hmm. be able to to go out and get Venezuela to turn on the taps and somehow like push that back in, especially because Venezuela's oil is particularly hard to refine. Um, but that said, we have to decide. Look. You know, do we care more about the threat Venezuela poses to its neighbors or the Ukraine or, or Russia? And I think at the moment we care more about the threat that Russia <laughs> plays, not just because of Russia, but because of the but message be- that letting Russia walk into Ukraine would send to China about what it could do right. in its neighborhood. And also, 
and also the battle on, on the ground in Ukraine is also about whether democracy will prevail over autocracy. Megan McArdle, Eugene Robinson, as always, thank you very much for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. You too, Jeff. Thanks for listening. For more information on our upcoming programs, go to WashingtonPostLive.com.